Welcome to the Value Driven Brand Podcast, where you'll learn insights on how to communicate with authenticity, deliver genuine value, and create a memorable experience across your entire customer journey, helping your business become the sought-after leader in your industry. I'm your host, Aileen Day. Now, on to the show. G'day everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Value Driven Brand Podcast. I am your host Aileen Day and today I have one of the most special guests that I have had on the podcast so far. It is my absolute pleasure, privilege, honour to have this man on the show today and I'm so looking forward to you all having the uh, capacity to listen in to the pearls of wisdom that are going to come from him. And without further ado, I want to introduce you to the one, the only, Michael Schneider, the Managing Director of Bunnings Warehouse Australia, New Zealand. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michael. How are you? I am very well, Aileen. Lovely to catch up with you and uh, really excited by the opportunity to have a chat with you today and and catch up and share a few ideas. I love it. It has been a while and uh, for those of you who might not know, uh, I used to work with Michael back in the day in uh, Bunnings and this man is probably the key person of influence for me when it comes to understanding and executing a customer experience uh, in business and in life. I have many a thanks to go to this man and uh, many of my clients have him to thank for me doing what I do these days as well. I want to let you know that it is an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited. Uh, But for those of you who might not know who Michael is, Michael is the Managing Director of Buddings Group and uh, I can't believe it's nearly been, or it's been three years already that you've been in the role as Managing Director. It's gone, it's gone pretty fast and uh, in, in COVID years, it's probably feeling like 20 at the moment. So. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so, Michael, give us a little bit of the inside scoop. Uh, what was going on before becoming the MD of uh, Bunnings Group? Yeah, it's, it's been um, it's been a really interesting career. I categorise it as a bit of a patchwork quilt, to be honest, Aileen. I think starting, you know, I started my retail career um, as an eighteen-year-old leaving school. I think like a lot of us did, you know, weekend casual, you know, pushing trolleys, punching checkouts, moving stock around. But I, I worked out that I really liked the environment, I liked the team, and, and I certainly loved working with customers. I went off to university. Because uh, I thought professionally I wanted to become a, a teacher, but I realised that that wasn't uh, wasn't for me. What sort of when I did some prac teaching and realised that with the environment that I was in in retail made a lot of sense. So I did that for for quite a few years, working for Target up in New South Wales. Oh yeah. Um, and then uh, left left retail. Got a bit frustrated. I think sometimes when we're early in our careers ambition and ability can collide, and you can think you're ready for things that maybe your employer doesn't. So. I backed myself to do something different, went off to work for Westpac, which I did for, for a few years and had the opportunity to work in retail banking, business banking, strategy, finance and HR. So really interesting time. And as a part of that, moved um, from Sydney to Perth and then Perth to Melbourne 
And when I was in Melbourne, I realised that, you know, banking was really good and I had fantastic opportunities, but it wasn't where my heart was. My heart was very much in, in retail. So I joined uh, a business called The Warehouse Group, which is a New Zealand retail business and worked with their Australian arm uh, while they had that um, from around about 2005, 2000 to 2005. And as a part of that, moved back to Sydney, uh, did a bit of work in New Zealand and then um, it was a business that was struggling in Australia. So they made the decision to sell to private equity, which was great for warehouse group shareholders. But, mm. um, you know, when you think about your career and your values, private equity for me just wasn't wasn't a thing um, back in, in that time. And uh, a recruiter that I dealt with had said, hey, look, there's a job going at Bunnings if, uh, if you're interested in that. So just over 15 years ago now, I... Uh, came on board and ran the New South Wales operations team for a couple of years and moved down to Melbourne where we worked together while I was looking after operations from a national point of view. And then, yeah, um, the start of 2016, took over as MD of Bunnings for Australia New Zealand. And then um, for some of your listeners, you'd know that we had a business for a little while in the UK. So we had that operation, um, which I was responsible for from about mid-2017 till we, we sold it. Uh, ironically, to private equity um, in the middle of 2018, and, and ever since then, have been working on ways to grow Bunnings um, into the business that it's it's known known for today. Yeah. So that's sort of the history, if you like. Wow, what a career! I can absolutely comprehend the patchwork quilt uh, analogy now. <laughs> Banking, retail. Yeah, it's good in a way, though, because, you know, you learn different skills and you solve problems from different directions. And I think sometimes when you're starting out in business, you know, people tell you that you need lots of people or lots of skills. But sometimes if you look within yourself, you'll find you've solved those problems in a different setting. And, and that's that's what business leadership's about. It's taking risk and solving problems. So, yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Uh, so... That is a pretty uh, amazing career and I'm curious, you know, it's been a while since we've had the opportunity to catch up. What has been the highlight for you going from the GM of operations to the MD of the whole company? Yeah, look, I think I've probably got one of the luckiest jobs in in corporate Australia. We're owned by West Farmers, so we don't we don't have all the burdens of a listed enterprise uh, in our own own right. We do a little bit with the with the market with the West Farmers investor relations team, but but really we get we get to focus on the two most important things in a retail business: your team and and your customer. And we're pretty focused on both of those very tightly, looking after um, the people that we're fortunate to work with. There's over forty eight thousand people these days. Working across Bunnings, across, you know, probably about 400 locations when you add in offices and DCs and, and our store and trade centre network. And, um, you know, I think, it, you know, it's a real it's a real privilege. And I think, you know, responsible for growing the business means you're helping people um, who are shareholders in your company, you know, earn, earn an income. And, and West Farmers has a very high retail shareholder base so we know that for a lot of older Australians you know it's part of their retirement portfolio and and creating jobs for people and I think you know at the moment you know well into 2020 there's lots of talk about you know businesses under pressure and closing and that puts pressure on families and jobs so the more we can continue to drive um, that outcome then we're supporting you know thousands of Australians their families their kids yeah. uh, mums and dads to to have a job and, and earn an income which is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I have 
still, uh, you know, lifelong friends that are still part of the Bunnings group and, uh, you know, the, the consistent feedback at the moment is you wouldn't want to work anywhere else uh, with everything going on at the moment and the uh, way in which the business has reacted uh, or not, not necessarily reacted but um, taken that and, and worked with the team to come out with the best outcomes is, uh, you know, my hat goes off to you. It cannot be uh, an easy role to try and satisfy 44,000 people, but by all means, it sounds like you're doing a bang-up job. Yeah, look, I think I think it's pretty fair to say that, you know, it's, it's hard to be happy and it's hard for all of us to be happy all the time and there's been a lot of pressure, but um, you're right. There's lots of people put down roots and grow their whole career at Bunnings and stay really long periods of time. You know, we've had execs and, and team members across our business with 30, 40, 50, even 60 years of service in the group, and I think that's that's remarkable. But it brings a really strong strong degree of uh, teamwork and, and friendship, and you're right. You know, I think, you know, we've all got, you know, anyone that's been a part of the Bunnings team, you know, ends up with a, with a whole Bunnings family group of friends that, you know, tend to sort of stick with you for life, and I think that's a really... A really nice thing and um, it's also a good um, litmus test for for leaders in the business because I think that network is is quite broad and you bump into people all the time who who know someone who works at Bunnings and it's a great way to hear mm. you know whether, whether the team are happy or not happy or worried uh, and you know it's been a pretty uncertain times so there's been plenty of worry and we've, we've worked hard to, to engage the team to make them feel safe and to understand what's going on and what's going on from a government level so and what it means for us as a business which Across Australia and New Zealand at the moment, it's about eight different ways of operating from the lockdown that you and I are living in here in Melbourne to, you know, almost life as usual if you're living on the west coast of Australia. If you've ever seen adaptability or if you've never seen adaptability, folks, you're looking at it right now. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. Yeah, pretty wild. Yeah. Well, this is the Value Driven Brand Podcast. And as we know that every guest that attends and uh, gives us the privilege of their time on the podcast is here to share with us uh, their insights and their experiences as to how they have gone out and created their own value driven brand. And I know I might be a little bit biased, but uh, you know, to me, there is no other, uh, there is no, this brand, Bunnings, is the epitome of what value means uh, to customers and consumers. So, Mike, we talked a little bit earlier about some of the points that you believe create a value-driven brand. And one of the mm-hmm. first things that you talked about was getting a team with the right skills to pivot where needed. Talk to me about what that means and, and what does it, not just mean, but what does it look like? Yeah, look, I think, you know, when we you know, started this year, I think we all we all heard about a, a flu bug somewhere else in the world and, um, and life went on as normal. You know, the Australian Open tennis was on, the plans were underway in Melbourne for the Grand Prix. Mm. Um, and then suddenly, you know, borders around the country were shut. You know, people needed to start quarantining when they came home. Um, and, you know, government, for all the right reasons, started to put restrictions in that probably for all of us um, or for most people alive in Australia wouldn't wouldn't have ever seen before. Maybe a very small number of Australians who lived through 
uh, Second World War or the Great Depression have seen some of the things that we've had to encounter as a community and, and businesses had to respond. You know, we, mm. we um, were allowed to open, you know, under, under most circumstances, but if a government says, hey, we need you to close for these reasons, then, you know, obviously you need to, to listen and, um, and, and do what's asked. But, you know, we, we'd embarked probably early 2018 on our online offer. You know, it mm. was something that as a business we were, we were, you know, it wasn't on our growth agenda, you know, probably heading into into sort of 2017. But, you know, as we started to wind up our operations in the UK, we, we were looking for opportunities to grow, but also opportunities to make shopping more convenient for our customers. And online is clearly an area where we needed to invest. So, you know, we started that journey. And, and fortunately, you know, we we're at a point of sophistication where start of 2020, we're able to actually pivot um, some of those um, ways of operating our online offer to create things like our drive and collect model to uh, implement, you know, pick up kiosks, pick up um, lockers, all sorts of different things to really focus on the convenience piece for for customers, but also understanding that, you know, when you're spending really long periods of time at home, and I know in Victoria, you know, that's, that's being mandated by the government, but it's clear right across Australia and New Zealand that, you know, when you can't travel interstate or internationally and, you know, it's a bit risky to be you know, going out too much and, and, and going to venues with large crowds, then spending more time at home makes sense. So mm. making sure our advertising creative, our in-store processes, all of these things were, um, you know, repositioned to really lean into the fact that as Australians and New Zealanders, we, we see home as the safest place we can be and we know that if we're doing things at home, we're active physically, that's got positive mental health benefits um, yes. you know, and a lot of fun, just getting stuff done, making your home feel really nice, setting up a home office, home classrooms with, with a lot of uh, learning from home, which I know you've had to endure. Fortunately for me, my kids have grown up and it's not been a, not been a battle, but it's been a battle for plenty of the, the mums and dads across the Bunnings team. But, you know, all of those things meant, you know, our office team needed to, to, to think differently. In fact, you know, functions in Bunnings that we never thought could be work from home, like our payroll or accounts payable or design teams you know, suddenly found themselves working from home. And, and we've learned many new ways of working flexibly uh, and connecting and engaging with one another, mm. really ramped up our effort on communication, really ramped up our effort on team engagement so that we had things to laugh about and laugh at, you know, over what's been a pretty pretty challenging time. So, you know, I think it, it's, it's, it's tested out our agility muscles and I think they've, they've been found to be in good shape. Um, and as the year goes on, I think, we're seeing our resilience muscles getting getting um, challenged a bit as, as some of these restrictions um, continue on. But, you know, it means that as a business we can test and learn a lot of new things. You know, we're operating our business in Melbourne in a two-speed way. If you're a trader, you come in just like always. But if you're a retail customer like you or I, you can buy it online, you can pick it up in the car park or have it dropped in your boot or you can have it dropped home. And that, that arrange it of choice for our customers wasn't there two years ago and mm. we're very lucky to be here today. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, pivoting has been used as such a loose term to just uh, a slight variation in how people do business, but ultimately you guys in the group have had to pivot. Like you've had to make monster changes to the way you do business. And I think one of my 
fondest memories, you probably wouldn't know this, but one of your, one of my fondest memories was I remember working on a project with you and, uh, and I was five seconds away from presenting it and saying, ta-da. And, you know, I was, I was, I was looking for the praise and I was looking for the excitement in your face to say, Aileen, this is fucking amazing. We can beat that out later. But, you know, and then I remember you walking up to me and you said, you know that project? And I'm like, yes. And you went, scrap it. We're moving. (laughs) I'm like, no, no. Do you know how hard I worked on that? No. (laughs) But that moment, I went, huh. This is pivoting. Yeah, and and that's, you know, for anyone, particularly starting a business, I think you start with a vision in your mind of how a business is going to work. Um, And it might be the same as planning a holiday. So visions of palm trees and beaches or, you know, Roman ruins or whatever it's going to be. But it's often different in reality. Um, And business is very much the same. You know, I think, um, you know, if you, if, you know, We've started a small business as an example. It's called Kitchen Collective. It's a kitchen design studio and it's taken us probably 12 or 18 months to do the thinking on how we wanted to go to market with that and, you know, that opened at the start of March. Mm. Um, not necessarily with hindsight the best time to, to launch a, a kitchen showroom that, that leans into customers that are wanting to spend more than perhaps they'd have thought of buying a kitchen from Bunnings before. But... Mm. We didn't see COVID coming. No one saw COVID coming and, and no one understood the, the impacts. And I think one of the biggest challenges leaders sometimes face is, is, is hanging on to an idea past its use-by date. And the use-by date may even be, as you just said in that example, not even getting started because business does move at pace and it is really important that, um, you know, we're, we're open-minded to the fact that customers and the market should be the only things that influence our thinking when it comes to our offer. Yeah. Uh, and if an offer isn't right, then 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 people won't shop. Or if if an offer is better somewhere else, um, people will leave you. And you see that in your local neighbourhood when you, you, your local takeaway shop is your favourite one. And if if one turns up that is better, or if the coffee shop next door to yours starts serving better coffee or or something like that, you're you're under pressure. So as business leaders, we've got to continue to adapt and evolve all the time. Mm. Uh, do the best you can to think what the future might look like, but accept that, you know, we'll always be out by a, by a margin of error. Sometimes it'll be a big margin and sometimes it'll be, be pretty close. But the one thing I do know after, you know, close to 30 years in business is it's always changing uh, and, yeah. and at an exponentially fast rate um, right now in 2020. Yeah, I would definitely say uh, that was one of the most poignant lessons in business I had had at that point. And when I went into business for myself, it has become and continues to be one of the biggest lessons that I pass on that, you know, don't get too attached because things change so fast that what you're winning with over here will be tomorrow's uh, opportunity to improve. So it was um, an amazing lesson and and something that obviously Bunnings as a team continues to live and breathe, which is, you know, fantastic. Uh, The second thing that you talked about was uh, a willingness to embrace agile work practices. Now, 
I'm very curious to hear how this is going for you because A, you have tens of thousands of or hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, 44,000 employees, team members. This cannot be an easy feat. Oh, and it's, it's not. It's a really, um, it's a really important point you make, Aileen, because agile working, you know, at its core, it's teamwork. It's cross-functional teamwork, and, and agile's the name. And there's plenty of, you know, consultants out there that'll, you know, put put really trendy names around around <laughs> what these these areas do. You know, Scrum teams, Scrum masters, Kanban walls, all sorts of things. But at the end of the day, what you're doing is bringing groups of people together from different parts of an organisation to, in a very accelerated way, solve problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we touched on that earlier before, you know, business is all about problem solving and having a mix of, of background in my career that that problem solving, you know, sometimes just you're dealing with it through a different lens. It, it lends itself to, to some areas of work. So if you're in a business where you're developing a concept or a model or a product, agile working is, uh, is really important. You know, we're going through a significant online replatform at the moment so moving onto a new website platform you know perfect environment for digital team operational team merchandising team hr teams to work and collaborate together to get the best outcome yeah but it doesn't work as effectively in say for example you know the bunnings that we all see which is our local Bunnings store or bunnings warehouse uh, more traditional um, leadership and operational models work there. So when we started to think about implementing Agile, I was fortunate enough um, to get to go overseas and look at some companies that had implemented Agile ways of working. And once you understand that it's for certain functions within an organisation, um, mm-hmm. you put it there and bring that team on the journey. But then on the other side, you sort of look at, you know, if you're running a, a sales business or a restaurant business or um, something in that sort of customer-facing space, more traditional models at this point in time continue to be, uh, it's certainly in my view, the more effective way to, to sort of run those operations. So it's a bit of a two-speed. So, if you're, you know, if you're running a Bunnings warehouse, you're probably running it not dissimilarly to how we have for the last 25, 26 years. Mm. You're working in some parts of our support functions. It might be very different with that cross-functional teamwork um, operating in a more significant way. Yeah. And... Uh how how have the teams that have moved into a agile uh, manner of working how have they adapted to the changes because I know from experience they're two very different ways uh, from how they used to work to how they now work how's that change management piece kind of uh, played out for you guys yeah, and I think it's a really good observation you make, Aileen, because it is a constant sort of change. It was not easy at the start because, you know, from your time working in the organisation, you know, we, we very much were built around divisional structures within the business, so buying division, operational division, marketing division. Um, but what's what became clear was to achieve the sorts of outcomes we needed and to achieve them at the pace we needed to, uh, to take it on, mm-hmm. that different way working was needed it isn't for everyone some team members have come in and kind of gone not not comfortable i can't see myself working in this way mm-hmm. and others have come in and you know perhaps even team members that i might not have thought would have embraced it um on first on a first blush you know we really relied on, on an individual's technical skills and that's why they were selected for a project they've really embraced it and actually taken the, the sort of thought back into 
into roles that they've moved back into. So I think it's now a much more normal way and fascinating as it is to sort of think about agile working as something new and different. The way the years played out and the way that we're all now working, you know, from working from home or some people tell me it's like living at work at the moment because it's, it's pretty busy. <laughs> yes. um, you know, agile working is actually one of the best ways to go because we can move things through process far more quickly than we would have otherwise done mm. in a more traditional way where one function would work on something, bring it to the table and then another function say you haven't thought about A, B and C and they'd go away and come back and go away and come back. So I think it's really helped us pivot and move at pace in the way mm. we've needed to so, not easy to get started once people become comfortable with it very very different outcome yeah absolutely i've had a few experiences where clients want to work in an agile environment but they they in my mind they're probably doing it for the wrong reasons they they want to take on that lean project management as opposed to the you know what i perceive to be the purpose behind it which is you know, that cross-function teamwork, that uh, all hands in, you know, and uh, being able to, as you said, move at pace and cut that red tape, you know, so that you can create an outcome much faster. Whereas uh, I think, you know, some people hear the, the lean project management, they're like, oh, I can save money. It's not, I mean, in my mind, it's not about saving money by having less people saving money by spending less time on a problem it's it the, the cost saving is usually in the production of you know like what if you follow lean and agile working in a more formal way and you can see from the way i sort of described it try to sort of break some of that down to be very much how it will work best for, for our organization but you know, what you really work to is what's called an mvp most most like minimum viable product now i when I must admit, when I first started hearing that, I thought it was most valuable player and this was a teamwork award. <laughs> it's, it's an outcome, right? But it's getting to that point of saying, you know, we've made uh, we've made a pen. You know, is the pen is the pen going to do what it needs to do, which is right? And if the answer to that is that, then you can sort of move on. So that's where some of the cost saving will come from is, is pace. And, mm. you know, we shouldn't be surprised because we're, we're thinking about the problem in a 360-degree way mm. rather than... And, you know, starting out with, you know, is the pen going to have ink or is the pen going to, you know, be, be black or blue or red or whatever it's going to be. We, we start with we sort of what are we, what's the problem we're trying to solve and then move to that first phase very quickly. So, yeah, it's a really interesting way of working and works for some and, and doesn't work for others. Yeah. I mean, I personally love it. I, you know, uh, coming from a project management background uh, where, the way we ran projects back in the day was very formal, very strategic, very documented, very rigid. And uh, to move into an agile way of working is um, much more, you feel like you're achieving a lot more because you're seeing a lot more come through the pipeline. So I think that's a fantastic uh, piece of advice around, you know, creating a value-driven brand. The third piece that we talked about was uh, an openness to try new things. Talk to me about what that means. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the, one of the observations that I've made of, of leadership over a long period of time is we, we, we're, humans are creatures of comfort. You know, we like, we like routine. We like 
a degree of certainty, you know, whether it's fish and chips on a Friday night or mm-hmm. homemade pizza on a Sunday night, whatever, you know, we, we find traditions and rituals. It might be going to church on a weekend. It might be going for a run every morning. Business is no different. And business falls into a pattern of doing things, mm-hmm. um, you know, over time. And, and you sort of end up in a plan, act, review cycle. So you might be setting a budget, you might be running the year, then you might be looking back at performance. And that's a good thing because that that for particularly big organisations but even growing organisations, that, that cadence, that rhythm is important because there needs to be um, a sense of certainty and you're not sort of going from, you know, selling cars to selling ice creams overnight, you know, you, you want to have a sense of, of purpose and direction. But, mm. and, and I think when you talk about value-driven brands, that consistency is, is, is key, right? Because people got to know, you know, what, what, they're, what, they're, what they're buying in a brand or buying in an experience. But the flip side of that is if you, if you don't continually iteratively change, um, you can get left behind. And I think in business today, particularly for startups, there's so many new things coming along or for, for businesses in their infancy, if you don't build in an innovative, an innovation mindset, um, you'll, you'll come up with something that, that works. Um, it will be popular for a period of time and then, then your customer will move on. And yeah. you see that with, um, you know, restaurants, you see it with cafes, you know, they're, they're sort of split into two. You know, there's the sort of old dependables of of what we know from when we grew up, the local Chinese restaurant, the local pizza restaurant, maybe the local Thai restaurant. They've all got their go-to dish that, you know, you can always eat. Um, but, you know, you don't necessarily think about anything new. And over time, people will, will move away. You know, a great example and an Australian innovation was the McCafe, McDonald's. So McCafe is actually developed here in Australia first before anywhere else in the world. And they, they'd recognise that Australians were moving away from the sort of, um, you know, cafe products that a traditional McDonald's restaurant offered. So they came up with a more nuanced, you know, more sophisticated offer. And they attracted new customers who wouldn't necessarily come in and buy a burger and a thick shape, but they also retained customers who might otherwise have left to go into that, into that cafe scene and have done it with the usual Macca's highly predictable, very formulaic way of operating, but it is that innovation uh, in your model. And business needs to try it. Some things will work and then some things won't work. And some things, you know, probably sit in the middle. You know, they're not they're not doing any harm to a business, but they're not adding a lot of value. The single biggest challenge that, that any leader faces in that change process is falling in love with the idea <laughs> and then sticking with it despite knowing that it's not, that it's not working and you know i think most ceos in their in their career will make the mistake of falling in love with something and sticking with it for too long or um inherit a model Mm. believe that the model is and the mindset behind the model is right and and then fail to make the changes they need to make perhaps until they're too late which is quite often why you'll see particularly in big companies um you know the company go quite well start to not perform so well, start to perform poorly, management change, wholesale revolution of the organisation. You know, the banks have done it, big retailers have done it, and that's expensive for, you know, the customer at the end of the day is paying, the shareholders paying, people lose their jobs. 
So if you can, if you can evolve your business as as you're sort of going mm-hmm. and keep it relevant, that's that's really important. And the last thing, if I take Bunnings as an example, when I think about young people renting their first home, personalising their space in mum and dad's house, or or buying their first home, mm-hmm. you know we'd be failing if they were looking at Bunnings and saying, well, that's where my mum and dad went to shop. You know, we, we want them to be saying, well, that's where we want to go shop because the products are relevant, the DIY, DIY advice is relevant, home improvement isn't scary. It's not building a back deck and renovating a kitchen because that's what they've seen when they're growing up in the house, the bigger projects getting done. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's those first projects, you know, what can you do for a rental property? How can you personalise your bedroom and, and a study at, at your parents' home? All those sorts of things are all about staying relevant and that's been very much how we've continued to drive value, you know, into our proposition is is that relevance piece. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to follow up that relevance piece with uh, a, a statement that says you can stay relevant because you ask for feedback. And too many times I come across businesses uh, small, startup, big, medium, it doesn't matter, and they are too scared to ask for feedback. And I would have to say, as the person that was responsible for the feedback at Buddings for a period of time, at, you know, an average of 1,500 pieces of feedback every week on average, that although your business might not get 1,500 pieces of feedback, just one piece of feedback, just being brave and courageous enough to ask the question, what can we do for you? What are you interested in? How did that experience work for you so that you can learn from your customers and therefore continue to innovate and continue to create those, as Mike said, incremental changes to help your business actually stay in business. You know, as you said, people don't want to shop where it's not relevant to them. No, and I think it's a really critical point you make, um, you know, and I think the danger the danger with feedback is that somehow we think we have to act on all of it. And I think one of the things that, um, you know, whether it's feedback about how you're performing as a leader or feedback about the product you're developing or selling or the business that you're operating, feedback is, is literally a smorgasbord. You take the bits that are relevant and you leave the bits that you don't feel are relevant. Now, if it's constructive feedback and it's, it's, it's consistent on one topic, you know, the product is, uh, has a design fault or the price is wrong or, um, you know, your leadership style is, is too much one way or another and you're getting a lot of feedback on the same topic, mm. I'd, I'd be saying, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, so to speak, but... You know, quite often you'll you'll look at things, and particularly around um, you know leadership style, you'll get feedback uh, from people because they they maybe want to see a change in how you work because it might benefit them or it might benefit others. But sometimes we just got to look at you know why we have some things in place because often we'll have you know a, a way of operating in place as a leader or a certain feature in a product for reasons that are maybe less obvious to the person who's giving you the feedback, mm-hmm. and to take that away could actually deliver an outcome that you're not you're not wanting to be able to do so i think asking and getting you know consistent measured feedback and you know as as best you can as unbiased as the feedback can be and i I remember aileen we you know opened up so many different ways of giving feedback um through to your team at at bunnings that 
you know, we sort of rather get that picture, but, you know, it's a bit the same as if you're doing a, you know, for a lot of leaders somewhere in your career, you're getting a 360-degree review done. You know, if you ask your best friends and your mum and dad to do it, you're probably not going to get the feedback you need to, to grow as a leader. You need to get that blended feedback to, to sort of get, get it straight and you'll hear stuff that you go, yep, yep, that's me. Whether you like it or not, that's, that's what you could look at. And whether it's a product or a business or, or an individual, if you look at the feedback and go, yeah, that's, yeah, my gut feel says pretty much the same thing, then you know that there's an opportunity to do something differently. Yeah, absolutely. I um I have been doing some research recently, and I don't know if you you remember, but um a, a while ago you would remember Professor Ron Hess, obviously, uh, who is also going to be joining us on the podcast in the future, which is very exciting. Uh, so Professor Ron Hess uh, of William and Mary University in uh, the United States. Uh, was uh, a fond teacher of customer experience of the Bunnings Group back in the day. And I remember one of the statistics that he pointed out to us at the time was that uh, for every one customer that left you a piece of feedback that uh, implored you to do something different or better, basically stating that they weren't happy with some form of the business, um, that there were 10 who felt the same but didn't say a word and just left. And I was uh, shocked the other week. I was doing some research and that number has gone from for every one that sends in a complaint or tells you how they feel uh, that they're not happy and 10 feeling the same and not saying a word, it's now... 26 yeah i'm not i'm not surprised and i think i think social media has played a big role in that as well you know we've now got so many you know and i'm always cautious with social media because you know people don't you know you put all your happy images up on instagram if you just put something up about feeling down or depressed people go oh, i don't want to listen don't want to know and a lot of people are very courageous at 10 o'clock at night behind a keyboard and, and write and say things about people and businesses that they'd never have the courage to say to someone's, uh, to someone's face. But, um, you know, I think, you know, we know it ourselves, right? Like we know you go to a restaurant and you have a poor experience. Mm-hmm. You know, the food's, you know, the food's not what it needs to be or the service was poor or the, the cleanliness standard wasn't right. Mm. I go back, you know, like for most of us, we're not naturally confrontational. We're not naturally givers of feedback. Quite often it's when you've had a really bad experience where you really know someone and you, you know they want to, to receive the feedback. Mm. You'll, you'll give it. But most of us just go, oh, I just won't go back there. I won't mm-hmm. go back to that restaurant. I won't go back to that uh, service station. I won't go back to that supermarket because we're spoiled for choice. And online shopping for the retail sectors. Yeah, a huge alternative. And, you know, for people living in Victoria at the moment, you know, you're, you're shopping from your desktop all day long. You get you get bored of a meeting. You get bored of a document you're reading. Something pops up on your social media feed and you go, oh, I'll, I'll go buy that. It's so easy to now move between brands that, you know, to have a value-driven brand is is an investment in, in loyalty and, and it's an insurance policy for your business because people trust it, they rely on it, they understand it. They have an emotional connection with it, and that's critical. 
what he said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Mike, you're amazing. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful that we got the time or that you could uh, put the time aside to catch up with me. It has been an absolute pleasure to learn from you, to reinforce some of the learnings I've already had from you and to share your experience with our listeners. But before I let you go, now our listeners would know that uh, every guest that comes onto the show, I ask them uh, quite simply, what is the one song that gets you pumped up for anything and Mike I don't know if you've had a chance to uh, watch any of the podcasts that have been released already but I'm kind of hoping you haven't so this is a surprise because what I want is well firstly I will get you to tell us what is that one song that pumps you up for everything well if anyone's uh, watched the movie Love Actually you will remember a very clear scene uh, where Hugh Grant gets up to the Pointer Sisters uh, and that timeless classic and and starts to sort of get up and move around. And to me, it's 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 one of those moments which the, the, the emotional connection for me came from the scene earlier in the movie where he stands up to Billy Bob Thornton, who plays the US president, and says, we won't be bullied. And that's a whole other area of interest that I have as a leader. And I think for me... Um, you know, you hear the radio announcer sort of play the song for the PM um, in recognition of the fact that, you know, he has stood up for, for what he believed in. And to me, it's that emotional trigger in that song that means, means the most rather than maybe the, uh, the dance moves or, uh, or even the song itself. So there you go. I am so glad you said that because uh, Love Actually is one of my uh, favourite movies after Grease. Uh, that just goes to show how old I am. And uh, so what we do on this podcast is every guest submits that one song that gets them pumped up for anything. And I love the story behind that. That's so cool. Uh, and what I do is I have created our very own uh, Alien Day official value-driven brand uh, Spotify playlist. So... When this podcast is released, you will be able to access the Spotify playlist with Mike's inclusion of Jump from the Pointer Sisters. It is a banger. Uh, I agree. It's a great tune. I'm very happy to add it to our what is becoming a very eclectic collection of music from our guests. It's got, we've gone from rap to um, pop to uh, 70s techno. Didn't know that was a thing till now. Uh, so it is becoming a playlist for the ages and at no point will you ever have an excuse to be down in the dumps after listening to all of these amazing songs. So, Mark, thank you for your contribution to the playlist. My pleasure. And um, on behalf of everyone, I want to say thank you again. I cannot... Uh, tell you how grateful I am for your time this afternoon. I know that in this COVID life, you are one of the busiest uh, leaders in the country. And 
I am so proud of all the work that you've been doing and your team and the whole group for their resilience and how they're coping and how they're still continuing to get out there and serve Australia and New Zealand to the best of their abilities. And um, on behalf of everyone, I want to say thank you. You're very welcome and uh, thanks so much for the opportunity. It is lovely to catch up and I'm so excited to see you writing the next chapter of your career in such a, an amazing way. So congratulations to you too, Aileen. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now for everyone else listening in, if you want more information on Mike, you can uh, head over to the West Farmers uh, website or you can go onto valuedrivenbrand.com. That's valuedrivenbrand.com and all of Mike's contact details and information and this podcast will be available there for you to check out as well. And uh, that is pretty much it from us today. I want to say thanks for tuning in. Thank you again, Mike. And uh, go out, provide some value to somebody in your life because you know what? What goes around comes around. I'm Aileen Day. Have a fantastic week. Thanks for listening to the Value Driven Brand Podcast with your host, Aileen Day. Is your business struggling to become known as the sought-after leader in your industry? Access our Value Driven Brand quiz and special three-part podcast series to identify the gaps and what you need to focus on first. Go to www.valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. That's valuedrivenbrand.com forward slash podcast series. Tune in next time where we discuss more ideas on how you can deliver your own value-driven brand.